bandas, primos y primas, and welcome back to my primos podcast. My name is Freddy. With me tonight is my primo and yours. Primo Terry is visiting us. Hey, Mr. Terry Blas. Say hi to everybody. Hola, hi. <laughs> How's it going? Good, good, good. Well, primos, we have Terry Blas joining us again. Hey, we didn't scare him off last time with all our geekdom and, you know, gushing over all his work. But I'm glad you're back, Terry. We're happy to have you. That wouldn't scare me away. That's why I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> right? Applause, everybody. Applause. The more applause. It's like no. Tinkerbell. Just clap. Just clap. I'll die if you don't. If I don't get enough. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, guys, of course, you know this show is week to week. We talk about everything under the sun, from fandom, geekdom, everything in between. And today we're gonna just chat about Terry's work, catch up with him, of course, just kind of chat about everything we can just come up with, because we wrangle him in this little corral for a bit. And uh, Kevin Garcia should be joining us. He's on the road. He's visiting his folks, and he's going to come up uh, back into Austin. But, you know, the no man's land in between is causing an issue. Uh, so hopefully get him on here shortly. But remember, guys, you can follow us at My Primos Podcast. Uh, let us know what your thoughts are, who you want to see on the show. We do have, in the coming weeks, we have five meets coming on next episode to talk about them. They're going to be on San Diego Comic-Con, so that's a big deal. that will be fun to talk about that and their new stuff coming out. And of course, follow at Terry Blas, you know, all social media. I'll follow him and his goofiness and his great, 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 funny, funny posts, which I dug your Romeo and Michelle one, by the way. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, like I said, it was long overdue. <laughs> but no, for real, let's, let's get right into it. So, Terry, come on. Like, first of all, Romeo and Michelle's Haskell reunion. See, I, I have, I literally have one, only one complaint about this movie. Bring it, it, it takes it. place in Tucson, Arizona, and there's like and and L.A., and I don't true. see any Mexicans anywhere. <laughs> wow, that's true. So I so I have always wanted to do like a, a Romeo and Michelle type story, but with like two Mexican girls, and so, so good. I've already started it. I've already written it. It's called it's called Pomposa and Bombita Go Bump in the Night. Um, <laughs> but I'll get there eventually. You know, it'll it's oh, like a pitch I'm writing up. But yeah, I used to, I mean, I love that movie. It came out when I was like, I think 17. And I saw it in the movie theater. And then in my first year of college, I watched it like every day to go to bed. So it's been embedded into my brain. And that's why I can do that whole like, ordinarily, when you make glue, first you need to yeah. at your resin, you know, that whole thing. Um, but yeah, I just loved it. And I think it's really fun. And it, and recently has gotten this like, resurgence of popularity they did a really insane long article i don't remember what i, I don't remember what it was people magazine. yeah but it was like about the whole history of the movie and they had like they talked to like the costume designer and the director and you know david merkin directed it he made a bunch of the simpsons and and it was talked about how like you know they really didn't think the movie was going to do well and it didn't do like super great but it became this like cult classic and to the point where, like, I I drove up to Seattle several years ago because they were doing, like, the musical stage version. Oh, my and, God. Yeah. And it was so great because some of the best scenes in that musical were scenes that felt like they were deleted scenes from the movie that you just didn't get to see, you know? Yeah. Um, and you can see some of those clips on YouTube of the musical. I love um, that movie. I remember watching it, too. I was like, I, said, I would swear that, that during that time, it was more so... There was something about it that it did that made me feel like okay, I, I, a sprinkling of clueless, and like I'll tell you why. Mm, oh, tell me, tell me. Mona, Mona May is my favorite costume designer. She designed all the costumes for Clueless. 
Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion, The Wedding Singer, Never Been Kissed. You know, so like all these 80s kind of like bright poppy colors and stuff. She had a huge kind of influence in that movie. Um, but it did. It had that like in the in the late 90s, there were several films that were very focused on like uh, a young woman's experience, you know, Clueless and Romy Michelle's, things like that. Yeah. And and, you know, they were blonde and they were Southern California and it was it kind of had that same aspect to it. But yeah, they were, it was just a funny movie and it was just a really good movie about like, on the surface, I think people, people think, oh, this is about these like dumb blondes. But it was this, it actually was this story about like friendship and about accepting and loving yourself, you know? And that was kind of Romy's journey, I think. She yeah, because get... it's a it's the whole idea that I was getting to is like when you watch the film, you laugh at how ridiculous they are, but it's a mirror. Yeah. How ridiculous were we trying to you know pomp us up and and you know make yourself maybe fit into a clique and or, or stand out or be the do you know how many cartoon t-shirt days I participated in just to be in the yearbook. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. everything you can think of under the sun to try to like, Hey, I make part of join a group or meet some friends or be part of be accepted. But the reality was I wasn't really me. You know, I didn't, when people ask me, Oh, how was your high school experience? And I go like, man, I couldn't wait to get the fuck out of there. And <laughs> like, it was not for me. Like I, I had more in common with my teachers than I did with my with my my my, my fellow classmates. Yeah, it's like I can't wait till we graduate. We're we're like moving to LA. We're never looking back. Is kind of what they say, you know. Um, but yeah, like every I think what's fun about that movie is that there's like all these different groups, and later on in the movie they say like, oh, I guess you know, there's this whole idea of oh, we thought we weren't popular, but to other people we really were, and then to other people we made their lives hell, you know, just yeah. like that group made our life hell. And so I, it was a fun examination, and then also to have. Michelle be this character that tells Romy, like, I never knew we weren't that great in high school because we had fun together. So do you why think don't we it's just, just go in there with ourselves? You, like, yeah, I feel you. I think that you need that friend, though, right? That like, you need mm -hmm. that one. Yeah. Because if you don't have at least that one to latch on to that goes, I love you. You're perfect. Hey, fine. I'll I'll dress up with you, too. Are we goth now? Okay, we're goth now. You know, gypsies, yeah, she... you know, let's do it. You know, Michelle goes along with with what Romy wants to do is like, well, why don't we pretend to be successful? But, you know, and she goes along with it because she's her friend and she loves her. But I think that what that turns into is like, we don't have to do this. We just get, why don't we just go in there as ourselves is what she says. And it's a growth, right? Like the movie is a comedy, but we can dissect yeah. it and really look at it. Like I well, could talk about it. We could do a whole <laughs> podcast episode about it. Here we go. Great. We're, we're five minutes into it. So like. <laughs> I love it because of the fact that someone can watch this comedy and you can just overlook it. Oh, there's like six good parts in it that made me laugh. Okay, but did you get the in-between where mm -hmm. two friends are struggling and the, the environment they're in and they're fed up with it and they want to at least feel, for one night, feel like the bell of the ball? You know, that one, at least one night, you know? Because yeah. things didn't work out how they planned. We've all been there, you know? So you can connect with that. And the fact that... They grew through this experience, you know. They fight it. They fight about it. I mean, we're not. I mean, at this point, go watch it. But right. I mean, they have an argument. I mean, they kind of split for a bit, you know. Kind of when we get to mad, we're going our own separate ways. Yeah, and like, <laughs> yeah. I think the whole movie hinges on the on the scene where um where Billy and Christy drive away on the motorcycle, and Romy's <laughs> left there waiting, and she's like, 
Michelle's like, maybe he's passed out in the bathroom. You want me to go check? And she's like, he's not in the bathroom, Michelle. And she's like sad because she got stood up. And M Michelle, I want this on my tombstone. Michelle says, I'll dance with you, Romy. Like, it's the sweetest thing in the world. And it's like, yeah. you know, and it comes back later in the movie, the same song. And it's it's a yeah. cute, it's a cute moment. It's friendship. It's about yeah. friendship. Friendship's funny, goofy, messy. Like, then it's a real friendship, right? Yeah. And those are the ones that last. And that's why this relationship lasted as long as it did. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, they love each other and they do things for each other. And they're willing to go through all this bullshit for it. And when they get found out, you know, like. They're still, you know what? Fuck it. it I'm yeah. me, you know, and I, I right. love that bounce back. So the message I take from it is we all go through this. We can stumble. We can fall. Yeah. And just be yeah. proud to be yourself. Don't be ashamed of who you are. Time after time. time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. So I love that. I love that. No, it's a, it's a blast to talk about that because, you know, when you talk about coming of age, like movies and stories, you know, that's what really hits home for most, and for me, for grownups, anything, anybody growing up during that time, especially in a time where, you know, things were overlooked. You know, there weren't many Latino coming of age stories. If you really think about it during that time, what was blood in, blood out cutting, coming of age in a way? Mm -hmm. I don't know, but like maybe real women have curves, maybe that movie, maybe traveling like, pants, sisterhood, maybe, yeah. I don't know. Like, well, I mean, three white girls and one latina i don't know but <laughs> yeah i think there's something there i mean i tried to see see how it is you have to find somewhere to connect there's mm -hmm. something there right yeah but stuff like this we can kind of adapt it regardless about race you know everybody goes through it It just seems like you're right there isn't i can't think of anything even current maybe no current's a little better but i'm saying during that time i would love to have seen something a little more inclusive yeah have you seen uh there's um a great show on netflix on my block Oh yeah, heck yeah! I would say I that it. is one of the most recent, like you know, Latino, funny Latinx, too. like kind of coming of age th things, and it's really funny. You know, it's, yeah, it's great. Do you think that we need to come in with that that comedy to sneak in, like the the? I mean, is that just normal? Like comedy would help ease in like truths or some deeper conversation? Does it have to be that? Um, I don't think it always has to be that, but I think that if you are I don't know where I got this from, but I think that if you're able to laugh, not at a character, but like for a character, if someone makes you laugh and you, there's an enjoyable sort of personality, then when there's a moment that's a slightly more serious, you're able to feel more for that person. So like my, my example would be like, I don't, I mean, I'm an insane Buffy nerd. Right. And yeah, so I don't know you, you, how, yeah. I don't know how familiar you are, you are with the show. But, like, there was a character on there who, who was always just kind of funny and blunt and whatever, right? And then when there's this serious moment um, in an episode, spoiler, guys, but guess what? The show's been out forever, where Buffy's mom dies. She doesn't understand what that is because she's always so blunt and funny. And yeah. everybody thinks she's being rude. But she's like, no, I really don't understand. And it's serious. And, and I think that moment caught people really off guard because she had been such a comedic character. And I think that, um, I mean, not to segue, I guess, into something like Drag Race, but, but I think okay. that's why someone like Jinx Monsoon was such a star in her season, in season five, because she made people laugh, she made Rue laugh, but then there were these moments with her and the, that veteran that came into the show where where she was, you know, there were serious emotional yeah. moments where she really wanted that man to like feel good and have a good time and how everybody else in the room kind of didn't want to be paired with him. And I think you got the sense that she felt like an underdog. This guy had felt like an underdog. And I think that was the moment that really 
helped people latch on to Jinx as like a favorite. Yeah, because it that made me look when that happened. I was like, damn, like, like, are we forgetting where we came from, where you came from? Are you forgetting how you were ignored and didn't want anybody yeah. to work with you? Like that immediately triggered. I'm like, dude, look at the room. Like, read the yeah. room, and it's like, exactly. wow. So yeah, I feel you. When that Jinx, Jinx is the one I'm gonna, I'm, I'm rooting for. So um, you know, I, I'm think, I, I mean, don't quote me on this, but I think she's gonna win All Stars. You think? I think she'll win. Listen, she's. <laughs> I'm a fan, but I will say this: if anyone who goes into Drag Race, I don't care if you're a fashion queen, I don't care if you're a, you know, a look or whatever. If you don't think that going into Drag Race, your priority should be to make RuPaul laugh all the time, then you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> like, yeah, but I mean, look, like Monet was my first go-to. Like I, I was, yeah. I was digging her. Monet was just energy. Like I love the sass. I love, I love it. You know, and then put Jinx. I'm coming around. Which makes it fun. Yeah, yeah definitely. That, um, there was a moment where, um, I think it was in the snatch game this season where like she really made Rue, Jinx really made Rue laugh. And then they did an improv challenge where Jinx made Rue laugh so hard that she broke character because Rue <laughs> yeah. was playing a character in this skit too. <laughs> And so I think that those are the moments I think Rue's not going to forget that. And she's, you know, I think she kind of makes up her mind early about. That's why I like the fact be. that, you know, when you look at drag race or just drag in general, the comedy aspect of it, let somebody lower their, their guard mm -hmm. because they're a little more open to, okay, it's a joke. Let's start there. And you lower your guard a little bit and you let some of the truth in. Like they were doing the, um, the college uh, speeches. Oh, the, drag, the draguation. The draguation, yeah. whatever. Like, okay, you were hitting on some funny, goofy, wacky stuff. But if you think about it, like, why wouldn't you have a jinx monsoon on stage at a, at a graduation? And really, let's lower that guard and just jump in and just give you some heart. You That's know? kind of my my point is that, like, do you honestly think that this challenge is really about writing and, and delivering a great graduation speech? This is a, it's a comedy challenge. Yeah. <laughs> they're all gonna make somebody laugh yeah, yeah. it's all about so, fun and at yeah. the same time it but i think that i enjoy it and we're okay with it because you lower your guard when you watch a comedy and that can, yeah. can let in the seriousness right and then let somebody go in hey i'm comfortable around a, a drag a, a drag performer now oh i'm comfortable somewhere on tv they're more comfortable yeah. but i think there's some schools of it where they go well i don't want to have to be a joke to be taken seriously right and then but you're in this and i'm using i know we're using drag right now because we're talking about drag race but let's just say in general i've talked about romeo and michelle on my block right the netflix show like would they have to come in with this comedy to make you come uh, lower your are we so is america so like guarded i guess that they need to come in the guise of like let me make them laugh and then here comes the truth like do we are we anywhere outside of that or are we still having to kind of hide things under comedy hmm I mean, because I think, I don't know, we're getting into it now, but because I think that America is so divided, I think that both both are true. I think you have some shows that could be very serious that some people might be interested in watching and they watch it and then they feel like, oh, this, this character may not be the same ethnicity as me or the same um, gender or whatever, but because of that story, something happened that they relate to and they, and they get it and they, they empathize. But I think that it might, I mean, I don't know, but I think it might be slightly, um, not easier, but people would, I think, maybe let their guard down more for a comedy to go in and watch it and think, oh, I just, 
because I'll tell you, <laughs> like there's so there, there's some great shows out there that have won all these awards. They look beautifully shot. They everybody's watching them. Great. I won't watch it right now because I my headspace. I'm like I don't need to be depressed. I don't need to watch something super serious right now. I just my mental state <laughs> over the past couple of years is I just want to be entertained and have fun. So I steer clear of something like a like a euphoria mm. in favor of something like hacks, I guess. You know, <laughs> yeah. just because I I it, sure there might be a moment where I do want to watch something serious and then maybe I'll go to that, but most of the time I feel like I just like I want to be entertained and sort of tune out a little bit. So we have uh, Kevin joining us from the road. He, he finally joined civilization. Kevin, Yay. did you hear a little bit of our conversation there? Something to chime in? Yeah, I've been listening in with you guys while I'm driving. I, I, I find uh, long road trips to be kind of meditative and peaceful, but uh, they're not super beneficial to, you know, reception. So it's <laughs> kind of hard to join you guys. I actually had to sneak in at a McDonald's and, and uh, steal some of their Wi-Fi. Uh, not 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 illegally, I might add. I, I did buy a happy meal. And I got Dude, a, a, a they make enough life. money. They're if you okay. could get yeah. me a if you could get me a six piece nugget with buffalo sauce, that'd be great. Right that now. is that's actually, what I, actually <laughs> what I got. That's actually what I got. <laughs> nice. Um, so, what's the, what's uh, the so toy? I need to know what the that's toy. That's what I'm saying. Right the now. toy is Lightyear this year. I thought ah, it was. Okay. Oh, the did you hear the, the Did you hear the noise about Lightyear? That's about the whole the the the, the same sex kiss and and all this. Okay, that's, yeah. I actually have something to add. Lightyear already came out in Mexico, right? My friend in Mexico sent me a, a screenshot, and I took a picture, rather, of the little flyer out in front of the movie. There's a warning in Spanish for, well, essentially for Mexican conservatives, saying, warning, there is some, uh, uh, what do they say, discussion of gender or something like that in this film. <laughs> so I gotta look have this to up. warn them. Because uh oh, they talk about being. They talk about being a woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Run! Break! Oh you know, my the god! Thing I found, the thing I found interesting about the whole light year controversy about this like same sex kiss, yeah, was that um, when the don't say gay bill and all that Florida stuff started happening, and then Disney was like, "We are committed to inclusive this and that." It was Pixar that wrote this article saying, "If if that's what if that's what you're saying." then why have you made us take out every single attempt at queerness in our films? You have made us take that out. So they put that kiss back in, I think, without permission. And we're just oh. like, too bad, we're doing it. And what's interesting about that comment is it makes me wonder what in their previous movies had they attempted to include that they were told to take out. Crazy. That's what they That's what they let slide. I got the, uh, Kevin sent me the poster here. And it says, Lightyear, advertencia, warning. Contiene escenas con ideología de género. Contains, what does it say? Contains scenes of... Like guess, ideological the, gender. Ideological talk. gender. Wow. That's a big yeah. word to simply say. Yeah, yeah. Two people kiss. I was just telling, exactly, <laughs> telling Freddie at, at, the, at the show last week that I went to a recent comic convention that had a spot available for drag performers doing cosplay where they were giving talks about it and the history of it and then doing a performance and, and they had a whole bunch of stuff going and they had a booth and they were, they were fairly popular. 
uh, and a family came by, like at, it was with earshot of a friend of mine, and they were complaining. They're like, "We have children here. How could you have people like this here?" And it's like, God. I, Listen, I mean, look, I, if you're if you're worried about sexuality, they're wearing more clothes than most of the <laughs> other people here. I this whole issue right now is something that I can't even deal with because it's for me, in my opinion, it's a diversion tactic, right? Because That's exactly what it is. Drag has been around since Shakespeare, and all of a sudden you're worried about your like. I, I don't want to make it super political for any people who are listening and don't want to whatever. But guess what? If you want to take care of your children, if you are worried about your children in this country, maybe ban guns. That's just my opinion. Yep, amen. And, and the thing that I'm going to as say a teacher, is, I'm with you on that. And the, thing, the thing I'm going to say is it, it, that the proof for me that this is a diversion tactic is because I'm pretty sure that things like Mrs. Doubtfire. White chicks, Bugs Bunny, uh, Medea have are all drag, and have all been around in mainstream cop, pop culture forever. So what the real issue is is conservatives trying to say that queer people are sexualizing children. When That's one, scary. when one, I'm pretty sure it's straight people who are like, "Do you have a girlfriend?" To five year olds. <laughs> Yep. You're gonna whole, be a whole, you're gonna be a looker. The it's, pink the pink blue dichotomy is only like what less than fifty years old. Yes, and, and yet and yet people act like like drag culture. Like you said, it's been going on. If we go back to the ancient Greeks, and there's references to it. You yeah. know the, what I what I find interesting. Yeah, is, but they love um, Tootsie, right? They right. love Tootsie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I don't understand is that like. Um, Drag is an art form just like any other. So just like movies, just like theater, just like music, whatever. And there, there is music, theater, movies for children. And music, theater, and movies and art that is not for children. Half, maybe, okay, for every Nina West who like reads Disney books and whatever to kids, there are plenty of Trixie Mattels who are like, keep your damn children away from me. I don't want anything to do with your kids. Yeah, you don't want so, you don't want them around. Yeah. It's a it's just a scary how now like they can if the vocabulary has has now expanded to this level just to to kind of I don't know, feel like they could just be they can simplify. It. They don't need to dress it up in any way and make yeah. it ideological conversations on gender. It's like to if a drag if a drag queen is going to <laughs> read books to children at a library, do you think they're going to come in with this with talk that's sexualizing or talk that you know, like we many many any more than queens, anyone else reading books to, right. to children. Many drag queens are high concept characters, like Pee Wee Herman, like maybe that's not a good example, like Elvira. You know what I mean? Elvira. Like they're just, they're just characters, and if they're coming in to to read at a library, they're not going to be doing something inappropriate, and. That's what that's what I don't understand. And the like, I just read about a drag library reading in Canada that was canceled because there were threats being made of violence. And yep. and I was speaking to a friend about this yesterday, and they said something really, I think, astute, where they were saying, you know, when Lavar Burton is on TV talking about saying that it's BS to ban books, why is that the story, and not? We are banning books. Why are we doing this? Like, yeah, and, and I, I love people responding to like, "Oh, now reading Rainbow is woke," and I'm like, "Did you did you ever watch that?" That's like someone uh, saying, "Oh, Star Trek is woke now." It's like, have you been <laughs> around since the '60s? Have you seen like any of the original Star Trek? My a good friend of mine, Levi Hastings, 
is um, an amazing artist. And he recently released a book he, that he illustrated called Big Wig about a little kid that finds a wig and like it makes him magical and whatever. And it was put on the Pizza Hut Book It Summer list. Yes. And the, if you Google Big Wig, my God, the conservative MAGA people came out protesting against Pizza Hut, against this book. And I just don't under, like what they're doing is making the book more popular and, and more <laughs> and more like available in someone's mind for the people who actually want it. I mean, Kevin, you're a teacher. So, I mean, yeah, I was going to say, so I'm a teacher in Austin. And last year in Leander, which is right outside of Austin, they just the school district banned a whole like, like, like a dozen books or so, um, all because of LGBT themes. That was the whole reason. Like these are books, middle readers, uh, books at young adults, books for adults. And they were like, wait, kids can access these in libraries? And, and so they actually started banning them. Of course, I, I teach journalism. So my newspaper kids were, you know, all wanting to, to look into that. And they were curious about what's happening with that world of like our school, which, which the school I teach at is very, very progressive. You know, they couldn't even imagine that happening. And it's literally just. 30 minutes away, just in the, just in one of the bedroom communities. It's, and... it's not about censoring books, in my opinion. It's because if they really don't want kids to learn about LGBTQ content or issues or whatever, then they would be trying to ban the internet. Dumb, <laughs> you know, right? I, I have family members who don't want to talk to their kids about me being gay. And I'm like, they, they're 18 years old. They follow me on Instagram. They know at this point. They know everything about my life. <laughs> I think they would have figured it out. Yeah, they, they had a, you gave them a computer that fits in their pocket when they were 12. <laughs> I don't know what no, to tell you. I just think that, like, my son, you know, he's 12. You've seen him right here. He's excited. You know, he's, I feel blessed, man. That's the word I use because he, at least because it's us, like, the way we've raised him, my family, my sister is gay. She's her and her wife. You know, are lovely to my son, and like we've always talked about, like, oh, this is, you know, I think we talked about it in the last episode. You know, that's how Steven Universe helped him understand, you know, yeah, how the like Ruby and Sapphire, the relationship works, and from there, we've we've solidified that. You know, we went to their wedding. You know, we went to all these things with, with my family, and for my dad being the old school machista kind of dude, and my mom being old school, she's a little more, you know, moms sometimes tend to be a little more understanding. Uh, depending, right? Everybody's different, but my mom, no, my... <laughs> <laughs> Terry, look at you, can't wait. Okay. But my mom was a little more understanding. It took her because this is her, my, it's not my story to tell. My sister, maybe one day, come on, join us and tell her how that, how she was pulled out of the closet, sadly. So we'll tell her. So that's... But just being able to say to your kid, who who knows how old your kid, I mean, I don't know how old your kid was yeah. when you were talking to them about this and watching Steven yeah. Universe, but just to be able to say, like, look, without without your aunt's relationship, there would be no um, Garnet. Yeah. That's what her relationship is. Is that, yeah. is that character, that fusion of these two people, these two characters coming together and creating this thing. Their relationship is Garnet. It's, it's yeah. an easy way to, I think, Talk about that. You should get your yeah. sister um, a T-shirt with that advertencia, the light year thing on it. I should, right? <laughs> I did buy her. I did buy her for their wedding. Me and my wife bought her uh, Ruby and Sapphire's wedding, like the actual shirt, them nice. at the wedding. Beautiful. So I brought for the wedding Beautiful. present. That's great. It was gorgeous. But no, saying you know it's kind of like what, what's saying, Kevin. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say talking about Ruby and Sapphire and all this. You know, I'm thinking about how like with Adventure Time, 
they, they could only hint at the the, the bubblegum and marceline thing yeah. until the very end. And now with the pickups, they're able to be like, hey, look, they're in an actual relationship now. I think of Legend of Korra where the very end, they were like, by the way, it was there, subtext. And now, Steven Universe forward, uh, She-Ra and other things are like, no, look, relationships happen. And and just as much as they show relationships in any other cartoon, hey, here's other relationships too. And I just find it to be, it's change is scary for a lot of people. And, and here, the change is not in the people, but a change in what's being allowed to show up in media. You yeah. know? And and with that change, what's showing allowed to show up in media, people there's a backlash of like, no, won't somebody think of the children? And God. we say, great, could you do something about the guns? No, 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 we mean the gay stuff. And it's like, you yeah, know, I'm waiting the for the day when I pitch something that's like intended for children and has queer content in it, and someone's like, oh, we can't do that, because I'm going to be like, why? What are you saying about me? Are you saying you that I'm trying that. to? Are you uh, that I'm trying to like what sexualize children? Is that what you're saying about me? <laughs> no, I think the problem is that kids. This is a, the, the mentality of at least the ones that are. The, I, mean, I mean, we're in the mix of it. We're in the weeds, right? Like the right trying to control this this narrative. Their mindset is still thinking that you can't underestimate kids. Like that's just a plain out reality. Yeah. Kids are not stupid. Right. They're brighter and smarter than most grown ass people, um, and so. If kids can memorize 5,000 Pokemon evolutions, they're clearly, <laughs> their brains are exactly. clearly working. I'm telling you, you don't underestimate their emotional maturity either. Mm -hmm. Because my son has had conversations with his cousins, and they're poking fun at a, one of his cousins, saying something along the lines of, hey, I have a crush on this girl. But they identify as he, him. And they want to, you know, he wants, he wants to, he wants to transition. That was a conversation I kind of overheard walking by the room, and my son goes, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the other older, older cousins, we're talking 17, 16 years old, immediately go into the giggle and, <laughs> and like poking fun at the younger ones. Yeah, see, this is what I think you the issue is, is that people, adults who are conservative, are afraid that all of this will be normalized because children who are really young get it. And that's why when someone who's like 17 or whatever, like you said, making fun, because now they, I feel, have probably been indoctrinated with this, oh, ha ha, that's weird kind of funny thing. I saw a video years ago that totally changed me. And it was this man who went, he went home to visit with his husband, like family, and the, his little nephew was probably, I don't know, six. And his nephew was like, "Are so you, your husbands and husbands?" And the guy's like, "Yeah, this, he's my husband." He's like, "I've heard of husbands and wives," and then he gets really excited. He's like, "But I've never heard of husbands and husbands." And he's <laughs> like, "Do you want to go play ping pong?" And they're like, "That's cool. all he needed." And that was it. That was it. Was done. He was like, "Cool, I get it. Whatever." And I, you know, I have had personal experiences where someone has said like well, we just haven't talked to our kids about any kind of straight sexuality conversation. So, you know, we, we don't know how to, ha how to handle or like we don't know how to talk yet about gay sexuality. And I was like, it's not, a, it's not a sexuality conversation. You know, like you're making it a sexuality conversation. It's a, you're, you know, this person in our family or this person in your life loves this other person. Yeah. Not like is attracted to, wants to have sex with, is whatever. Like you don't it's, talk it's about, about their identity, people that way. Not, not what they want to do with their Not body. just that. Yeah. It's nor it's normalizing the words like 
like you said, my 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 sister deals with. And I would love to. I wish she was on with us, but she was literally kind of echo what you're saying. Where in the Latin, we're Salvadoreños, Central American, like they were talking like, dude, they they immediately go, oh yeah, they use derogatory terms immediately mm-hmm. to identify, and like if it's a laughable, cute pet name, and it's like she's like, whoa. I'm still a woman, first and foremost. Don't forget that I'm still a woman, right? Because they se pasan, right? Mm-hmm. And number two, I have the right to say, he's like, oh, so who's the husband and who's the wife? And he's like, that's my wife. I'm her wife. That's my partner. And the, the that conversation needs to be, normal. it has to be normalized. Like me with my wife, but I'll say my partner or my wife. Mm-hmm. Like it's just kind of interchangeable. It's That's my per- person that I love, you know? Yeah. I feel you. You know, it's funny, uh, Terry, you said earlier that, People will sexualize little kids by saying, oh, do you have a girlfriend to like a kindergartner, right? And I was just talking to somebody the other day who's talking about a two-year-old at daycare and about how he can't stop talking about what the little girl in class wears every day. She wears this and her hair is this and she wears this and her hair is this. And they're like, it's like he's in love with her. But then I think of another relative that I had who, when he was, you know, four and five, wanted to be Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And I think knowing him now, that has a lot of context. He still considers Wonder Woman to be a personal idol, not as somebody he had a crush on, but as somebody he wants to still be as an adult, you know? Mm-hmm. So but as a like, parent, you have to you don't indoctrinate that, though. Me, when my son was playing Minecraft, whatever, you can pick a male or female character. I picked the female. Like, you know what? I want to be the I want to be the I want to be the female character. I like her. She has cool hair. And like as a young, young, young boy. And I said, it's OK. Because they're heroes, they're still you know a character in a game. And she and it's play. It's a badass. And it's playing. Like, you know, like just like I don't all the stuff I write. If, if we could only write about people like us, then every book I write would be about a gay, biracial, bicultural Mexican ex Mormon. You know, blah blah blah. I don't want all of my work to be about that. So why would I always want to when I play play as, as someone exactly like me? Yeah, like it's your imagination is what should help you like be cool with that. When I was when I was nine and ten years old, I saw the problem with that because I loved playing with action figures. And by the way, you want to hear something kind of weirdly Freudian? My friends and I <laughs> called it playing men. Like it didn't mean anything to us at the time. We're just like we're playing men right now. And I'm like, I say that as an adult, and that sounds weird. But the, but the problem that I ran into is they never had female toys. So, like, if I wanted to play an entire scenario with the characters, uh, they had to all be male. There was, like, one April O'Neil fail, uh, fe- uh, toy. There was, like, one Scarlet from, from G.I. Joe, but then all the rest were male. And, and as a kid, I was, like, I knew as a nine-year-old that it was because people had already decided gender roles. I, we, I didn't use the term gender roles in my head. It's the, it's the early 90s. It wouldn't have been a common term there for people uh, in, in that part of society. But, like... Yeah. I knew that that was connected to people just not wanting to let boys play with whatever and girls play with whatever because the toys, even in the early uh, late eighties and early nineties, had to be gendered, you know. And it drove me nuts. That's why what I, are like, they afraid is going to happen? Exactly. Like I wanted toys of female characters so that I could have you know interactions. When I was visiting cousins, there'd be Barbies, but when I was by myself. See, this is what I find really interesting is because I think it's starting to change a little bit now, but even several years ago, so I was a little late to the Avatar The Last Airbender craze, so I yeah, watched well, it I after the whole you. thing. I'm, I'm only on season one right now, so. Oh, man, you oh, are. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah. after season one, they made toys, right? Guess what action figures they made? They made Aang, they mm-hmm. made Sokka, mm-hmm. they made the Fire Lord, 
and they made okay. a Fire Nation soldier. They didn't a random make, soldier. They didn't make. Um, they didn't make Katara. Suki so for, or so they didn't make the main Katara, characters. who who starts the whole series. Who finds you know, him? I I would say, if you take Aang out, she's the next main character. Right. She's the protagonist for all the episodes I've watched. Like. I will there, tell you, she's the, one she's the voice of reason. She's in like, my opinion, the yeah. best character in the whole series enters the series in Tough. season two. So I don't want to ruin anything for you, Kevin. But you know, I've, 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 I've already done panels with all the voice actors, so okay. I had to catch okay. up. So there we go. I, I remember thinking, if I was a kid watching this, the most badass, the most coolest, the most awesome character that I would want to have an action figure of to play as, as a kid, would be Toph. Of course, love tough. Only recently have they made one of her. I have it right there. Wow! But like, you know, th- that the the gender of Toph when Toph was created was supposed to be this like huge dude that kind of whatever. And they were like, no, we already have a bunch of dude characters. Why not just make it like? Isn't it more interesting that it's this powerful, most amazing, awesome, strongest Earthbender ever? But it's a little girl. Like, what does that say? Like, that's awesome. And I don't think when you watch the show, her gender really comes into play or matters much. You know, it's she's a kid. So she's I, not she's not sexualized. She's not like falling into the you know, trope of the anime. Of a, there's a hint of a crush I mean, or whatever there, but it's her story isn't she, about look, romance. She's, she's cute, but I mean, yeah. she's not being over like Lolita type deal right. in, in anime. You know what I mean? She's yeah. not. She's a badass. Yeah. She can fend for herself and. Yeah. Plus, and, and and this gets slightly off topic, but still on topic. She also has different personal capabilities than other people do, and it's not like her powers don't exist because she's blind. Uh, it's just, by the way, she's blind. And yeah, there's there's issues with her families because of a lot of that. But it's not like any other character really cares about that aspect of her. And and because I, again, I had to skip ahead to some episodes before talking with the voice actors. Uh, and, and I'm like, we need more of that. We need more of it where it's like not that big of a deal that people can be whatever they want to be or however they are born. Yeah. I don't think they super focus on it, but I think her blindness only comes into play as, Oh, well that's made me have to feel the earth with my feet and, and feel the vibrations and use that as like a, a strength. And talk about such a well thought out, fleshed out character. Everything about her just leads into that. The earth, you know, the grabbing it, the, the, how, She's punk, yeah, you know. She's just she. Uh, she's so good, tough. So I mean, I love it. I mean, we're all about inclusion. We have, to, you know. I want to talk about some of your work, Terry. I know we can sit here all day and just gab gab away, <clears throat> but last time you were here, you you did tell me have me back on after the trade comes out <laughs> and tell me your thoughts. I have thoughts, and so again, you wrote reptile. So yep. if somebody that doesn't know, give us the quick elevator pitch of. Reptil and your book. Um, Reptil is a character who is a Mexican-American teenager who can turn into dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. He has been around in Marvel Comics for a little over 10 years, but I was asked to write a a four-issue solo series for him um, that expands upon his character a little bit. And um, in that series, you meet a a bit more of his family, and it's sort of this journey of him like coming into his own, Embracing his power while searching for the missing members of his family. Perfect. So we're going to spoil this because <laughs> I need to talk. I need to be in depth. Can you, so, after reading it, can you so, see how much I love Toph? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because of, of the villain I created. Anybody listening to the podcast, 
pause it, go to the Marvel app, read it, unpause it, and we'll be right here waiting for you. There we go. Good Kevin, man. Good acting Kevin Garcia, everybody. Look at him joining the show, making things more professional on here with the primos. And, and Marvel's not even paying me anymore. <laughs> so now that you've read it, guys. <laughs> so now that you've read it, welcome back. First thing, I first, loved it. thank you for the expanding of the family. Uh, one thing that I've told people a lot is that the reason Skin was my favorite uh, X-Men related character as a teenager is because he was the only Latino X-Men that was born in the U.S. Because for some reason, uh, prior to, uh, except for with Jubilee being the one exception, if you were anything of any kind of ethnic background, you had to be from another country. Mm -hmm. Like you, like uh, Richter, he has to be from Mexico. Uh, Sunspot, oh, he's from Brazil. Uh, Storm, born in America, but raised in Africa. That's why she's black. It's like mm -hmm. you couldn't have anybody who was a different ethnicity uh, than the standard white American, unless you're from there. And then when I see the family that you created for Reptile, it is, it feels like a, a full fledged out family. It's not a stereotype. Uh, there's people that, that match things that are members of my family, people that are like, the biggest example I give is the grandpa, who's a gamer. Mm -hmm. And I'm, yeah. I love that. It was important for me to say, I think Julian says, like, look at us, we're third generation, you know, because this, this wasn't a comic about a Mexican kid. It was a comic about a Mexican American kid. And so when that was, that. when that was important to the story, I'd say, okay, well then that's an experience that I think needs to be talked about, especially because I was writing it at a time when like the discussion about uh, the Latinx community in the United States and the border and everything was starting to sort of kind of come down a little bit, um, the discussion of it anyway. Um, and for me, it was important to talk about those experiences. So many, I think, Mexican-American people speak Spanish or don't speak Spanish. You know, we're, we're raised that that was important. We're raised that that was not important. Like, it's not an all-encompassing one type of monolithic, megalithic, whatever, experience. <laughs> and so yeah. I think that being able to have someone like i think eva who probably even if her spanish wasn't great was probably like no i'm just gonna study up on my own and make it real good <laughs> like she says in the book that she was speaking spanish and someone on the street looked at her funny you know so even in la yeah so i wanted to sort of include that experience and i felt like when i read about all like all of the you know content that reptile had been in prior to the um solo that i wrote so much of his character to me seemed defined by his parents were paleontologists. So one, they were like awesome and educated and cool. Mm -hmm. and, and not in some stereotypical job. And again, it's not right. to say there's anything wrong with those other jobs. It's just nice to have a variety of characters. That's what I mean. Is that's why, that's why I wanted Tia Gloria to be a doctor. And then the, the other prominent sort of besides Papa Vic, a prominent adult Mexican figure in the, book is a guy who runs a taco stand i was going to mention him you know yeah and and what i wanted was um for there to well when i read all the stuff i thought his character so defined by the fact that his parents disappeared but in the comics he has like never really looked for them so i was yeah. like i was like that would and that would consume me like if that were me i'd be like well, yeah. where are they and that's why reading, the first reading issue Reptiles comics sorry oh no go ahead reading Riftel's comics before you got, came into it, every time I felt like the writer was trying to get him to that story, and then either the series got canceled or there was a changeover, and then they moved him to a different book. And then like, yeah. all right, we're going to try to get to that story, and then there's a different book. Well, there's a moment in the Savage Land where 
um, is it Kazar? Is his name? He tells. Oh, I always said Kazar. Kazar. He yeah. tells um, Reptile, "Well, if you ever want to look for your parents, I, I, I'll help you." You yeah. know, but um, I, I couldn't exactly include him in this book. But, um, but what I felt was like in creating this story, this pitch. I said, you know, if it were me, well, one, I have to include more family here because. Who was he? Who else is he gonna? He needs somebody to talk to in this book. Yeah. And so his grandfather had already been established. He hadn't been named, so I named him. And I asked Marvel, "What is happening in the Marvel universe right now that might affect him?" And the idea of Kamala's law came up, where Ms. Marvel had been hurt, and teenagers were now not allowed to use their powers. And I was like, "Okay, well, this is great. He's got a grandpa who's older. He can't use his powers now, so he's gonna decide." I'm. You know, when I when I turn into a full dino, I hulk out anyway, and I could hurt someone. So I'm not going to use my powers right now. It's illegal anyway. I'm going to help my my grandpa move in with my aunt. That's a way to introduce these these primos, right? Yeah. Um, and I I needed nice something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I needed something I felt that would really hook people in at the end of the first issue and say, okay, now I need to read the second one. I have to get the second one. That's sort of the nature of comics anyway. Yeah, but the more I thought about it, the more I thought like, okay, well, what would hook me is if a villain shows up and says, you're you're not using your power anyway. You're going to give it to me and you're going to give it to me willingly. And for him to be like, yeah, right. Why would I do that? Well, why, is... well, what would make him do that? And to me, that was, I know where your parents are. No, definitely. We, we did there. But I wanted to touch on the, the hulking out the power which kind of connects with i don't know if you intentionally did it or if i'm just a geek that i am where it's like you're you really you're you're actually using the powers as you would spanish or your your culture because there was a time where when you spoke spanish you were looked at funny like eva so eva and and they have that connection they understand each other what it is like yeah. oh i can't i can't really show out and who, who julian's like be you show out like peacock man go nuts yeah. you know but i can't because of this law then you have eva why well, can't i can't be fully me because of not only the law but my friends my, around me the neighborhood society like as us latinos growing up too we went into those situations where you're maybe in an area where no one speaks spanish and you start speaking spanish and they look at you weird like whoa like what's going on like in my friend group i'm the only latino in there and they make they, they they'll be I'll say something and they're like oh well hold on yeah I forgot I forget because I'm passing and they're like I forget you're Spanish and I go no I'm not Spanish uh -huh. I'm from El Salvador and yeah. it was like oh yeah I, yeah well yeah I, just I get wrote it. a script where someone is someone who speaks English just speaks English like a white person um, makes fun of someone else's accent and then like this lady's accent. And her son is like, oh, no, you can disagree with my mom, but you don't make fun of the way she talks. And Because she was speaking English, but she's Mexican. And the woman's like, oh, I'm so sorry, whatever. And he said, his response is, it's cool. Always happy to help a monolinguist. <laughs> yes. Because like, that's, exactly what, that's exactly what it is. As a monolinguist myself, I agree. Make fun of him for that. <laughs> but, that's, see, but that's the other thing that I find interesting is, yeah. that, is that someone who is Latinx and only speaks like say English. Okay. You know, I heard from someone who that that was the case, and they were like, you know, I get told all the time that I'm less than, um, a, like a lesser Latino that I don't this and that. And what I tell them is, you know, just reassure anyone who is telling you that 
that our ancestors did not speak Spanish and they certainly weren't Catholic either. That's exactly what you I know. told somebody the other day when they picked on me for that. We were we were discussing Aztecs online, and and again I say Aztec to being the more generally accepted non- known term, knowing full well that I study it. I know that they would not have called themselves that, but but I'm, we're talking about it. Yeah. And the guy says in the chat, "Why are you discussing this in English? You should be using Spanish." And I said, "I hate to tell you this, uh, that's just one colonial language for a different colonial language. They didn't speak that language, you know." Yeah. Um. Well, how far do you take it then? Shouldn't we be discussing this in Nahuatl? Like. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like. Remember, hey, but we talked about it with Walter. Remember Chikume last episode. We're like, remember, then we start arguing about who's allowed to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's no pure blood Nahuatl walking around right now. That's going right. to be the only one of eight. eight you can't write the next reptilian unless you have the purest, purest blood. It's like, come on, man. Like, are hey, we really going to go that route? You could always find somebody who still has dinosaur blood in them and we'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. But, hey, but, but, one day. But, uh, but, uh, but I appreciate what, what uh, Freddie was saying, the idea of like, even though if a reptile, it's like he feels like people are, are looking at him as a dinosaur in the sense that internally he says, I'm not fully human when I'm a dinosaur. So they're looking at me a little bit freaked out, but in my head, I'm also freaked out feeling that I don't really belong here. And honestly, you know, I, I just came to visit my family down on the border in, and in my community, whenever I'm there, I'm the whitest guy in the group. And hell, I just remember I was traveling on another road trip. I stopped for uh, soul food at a restaurant and, and I'm checking out. The owner looks at my card and she goes, oh, you're a Garcia. I wouldn't have thought you were Latino. And I was like, yep. Yep. So years ago, I did this mini comic that was like the difference between the terms Latino and Hispanic and blah, blah, blah. And it sort, of blew up, people. it sort of blew up on the internet. And someone responded to me from Mexico saying, you're a fake white Mexican. You don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, why do I have to explain to you that Mexico is a country, not an ethnicity, and that there are white, black and native, indigenous, and mixed Mexicans. Why do, like, if I have to remind you that in Mexican television, everyone's white. My wife, no, last no, night. If they're a bad guy in a novella, or, 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 the, or the maid, or the yeah. help. Mm-hmm. My wife and her sisters were having this same conversation over dinner the other night. My wife came home and she goes, yeah, you know, representation. We were talking about that here and there. And she's like, my sister's talking about why is it that every single novella has to, even the Arabic novellas that are translated into Spanish have the whitest people in the bluest eyes, you yeah. know? But only if you're the ranch hand or the bad guy or the maid, are they the, the trenzat-haired India and, and they can barely speak Odiga. They, they speak the the broken Spanish, not what kind of in between, mm-hmm. like the India Maria almost. And it's like, right. unless unless you're a maid that becomes a love interest, then no. So this is what I find found kind of interesting is that a friend of mine who's a filmmaker in Mexico was talking to me about um, Yalitza Aparicio when Roma happened and she was nominated yeah. for an Oscar and how people in Mexico, it wasn't really a big thing for them there. I mean, besides the racism to like care that she had been nominated for this Oscar. And he said, well, throughout Mexican cinema, there has been or have been representations of native people, but in television, there have not been. So if she were nominated for like a TV award, then it would be this a much bigger story in Mexico. But because, because even though stereotypical kind of characters like La India Maria, like had been in TV, you know, or had been in film, not TV. So that it was but just they, kind of a different But then it goes back to what we're saying 
earlier, right? How I'm okay to watch you if you make me laugh. Mm-hmm. Right? It goes yeah. back to that conversation at the beginning. Like, but in, in, like you said, Cantinflas, right? That was the whole deal. Like, hey, I'm coming in with comedy, but I'm going to blow your fucking mind, you know? Like, yeah. you can appreciate that. And Cantinflas was, you know, for his time, was fucking world, world famous. You know, he was able to get in. It was amazing. But I wish we can get to that point now where we don't have to dress it up. But I feel like we're still too far from it, you know? But I mean, yeah. I don't want to take away from Reptil because I have thoughts okay. too. Yeah, I was going to say, back to Reptil, it's like, as much as I like those aspects of it, and this is something I said in the, in the show last week, I don't want every Latino character to come up to be half white, you know, uh, speak English only and everything else. I just appreciate that there's a chance to see a bigger variety of the community. And that's why I'm so happy for that. Like, I don't want like, uh, you know, people to just look like me and that to be representatives of Latinx in, in comics. But I appreciate that there can be a recognition that, hey, there's more people in this community. Yeah, that's why in my Hotel Dare book, I wanted, like, I, I always want there to be sort of like a different representation or like to expand on that because the main teenage character olive she speaks she speaks spanish and you see her speaking spanish but then when she finds this news article she's like i don't really understand this i don't read spanish that well there's someone out there like that you know yeah, so, yeah. And, and that i'm the of... opposite I can, I can read spanish but don't ask me to speak it <laughs> so, so, yeah. it's, it's hard my son when he was young younger they put him in a bilingual class at school so he read he learned how to read in spanish and he spoke spanish he went to first grade. Forget it. He he can maybe read it, piece it out. And me and my wife are like trying to kind of re-indoctrinate him. But then I can see the frustration in his face, his face that he's almost letting us down. Yeah. So I have to kind of backpedal a little bit. Hey, temper, temper my expectations, you know, and just make I it always, a normal thing. You know, I always was nervous that like if I do an interview in Spanish, I'm going to mess up. Like so they're going to make fun of me, whatever. And now I'm at the point where, like, where I feel like I tell someone, look, my Spanish isn't awesome. It's not, like, perfect. But I can do an interview in Spanish if you want me to. The thing that I keep in my mind is I think one of, without getting too deep, I think one of the biggest problems in the world today is lack of good communication between people and cultures. So when I can at least communicate and when I'm at least trying, I think that's all you can ask for, right? Like, and it's all context, too. I'm not afraid to do an interview in Spanish where I'm, like, talking in Spanish and then I don't know the words, so I'll just say it in English. Like, yeah. so what? Um, I know people are going to make fun of me, but people would make fun of me for almost anything if I put myself out there. So I don't really care. <laughs> but then, that's what I'm talking about the book, right? Like, everybody in that book that's Latino, Latinx, can identify with Reptil as far as his afraid to use his ability, his powers. Mm -hmm. And Eva's as well, because, oh, you know, I don't want to use my Spanish. It's not that good. But the reality is the book and the story kind of with Julian kind of helping it along. Like, no, nah, man, be proud of it. Show it out. Even if it's not the best, use it. You got this. Breathe. You, you can get through this yeah. thing. And I, I kind of see I that correlation, to, you know? I just wanted to bring up Eva for a second. Uh, you introduced this cousin who is experimenting with magic. And in any, any kind of book outside of the comic book shared universe, that'd be the whole story. The whole story would be like, this person knows magic. What the heck? But no, this is in the Marvel Universe. And I really appreciate that. I feel like that's something that more books need to do, where it's like, not everybody has to be best friends with Wolverine in the past. But it's cool that they've had like 
some kind of connection to the fact that there's other things in the Marvel Universe. So the idea that, like, hey, I'm trying, I'm worried about my family, so I'm going to learn sorcery, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and, and I, in fact, I remember reading the book and thinking, man, I, I love reading Strange Academy. I, I wish Ava could join Strange Academy, but I know, you know, as much as I would love that to happen, it's probably never going to happen. And then uh, Marvel Voices comes out, and I'm mm-hmm. like, hey, Ava's joining Strange Academy. This is great. Uh, sorry i just uh, what what went into kind of using some of that lore you have that you have a little bit of devil dinosaurs world because that was pre-existing in uh yeah in um reptiles background (laughs) i guess to first to tackle the dinosaur world stuff i when when i was developing the story i wanted to include at least one character that had a lot of lore and through reading um, Reptile's previous stuff, I learned that the person who had created his amulet was the Hag of the Pits, who was created by Jack Kirby. And, yeah, she's an interesting concept there. Well, I was like, she's like this this like sorceress, witch, monkey, cavewoman lady. <laughs> That's really awesome. And she like lives in Dinosaur World, which is not the same land. And it had shown a few panels of her having this ape-like caveman's son but he had never been named and he was just there very briefly so when they need to learn more about why this guy might want his amulet julian's like cool well who knows the most about it and then he's like oh well the hag the hag of the pits he's like the hag of the what <laughs> like <laughs> so they go to dinosaur world and ava's able to do that because she has taught herself magic um i wanted her to be a character who had taught her, well, not necessarily taught herself magic, but she had read everything she could find on the subject. You know, she she's the character who was born out of, like, the idea that the fastest growing demographic in the U.S. is the college-educated Latina. So I wanted a smart, do-it-yourself, like, oh, I can't afford, like, maybe I can't afford college for some reason. Great, well, I'm going to teach myself how to do it then. You know, like, I wanted that kind of spirit for her character. Um, she was also someone who took up running, which is kind of buried a little bit in the book, but she, I think, mentions that she does it because when you take, mad, when you do magic, it pulls energy from somewhere, and she didn't want it to be pulled from, like, say, a person who's with her, or mm. an animal, so, so she gets her endurance up so that she pulls it from herself. Um, but because I couldn't necessarily include, like, Doctor Strange and Strange Academy and whatever, and because she hadn't exhibited any magical ability yet prior to her cousin showing up, yeah, there wasn't a reason for her to go to Strange Academy. But now that she is showing that ability, when they approached me about developing her a little bit more for, for Marvel Voices, you know, they asked me what I would want to do. And I said, oh, well, I, she needs to go to Strange Academy. Like, that's the next step. <laughs> and I love that title. And... I knew that there was like one other Mexican student there and that was it. Yeah, Herman, <laughs> and, right? Yep, Herman yeah, Aguilar. Yeah. And so I, I, I wanted to include bit, him. I, I do think it's a little bit funny that the, the two of Mexican heritage are the two that meet each other. Not only that, the two that time, show up early. Yeah, but, but at the same time, I'm like, you know what? That's the story that needed to be told and that's the story that I wanted to read. Even if it's a little bit contrived, I'm good with it. It's fun, you know? Yeah, I because it was Marvel Voices comunidades i didn't necessarily want like if i had had to pair her with someone else it would have been one of those asgard asgardian boys that's like the class star that like is smartest 
best person. I don't remember his name. Um, but he, but Herman tells her like, oh, you're going to give him a run for his money by going here. Um, but I wanted to include him because I wanted to be able to show his powers and his like his sorcery um, and include Which like only been shown like once or twice in the book. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted to include like a jaguar and more like sort of I iconic. It's always in the kitchen. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, for, for, for like record, come on. Uh, he's, he's a Nahual, right? Yeah. That's why I wanted yeah. to be able, like, if it was Comunidades, then I've got to show his magic, too. Like, I wanted to be able to do that and include a little bit more, like, Mexicanidad, I guess, in it. Um, but, and yeah. Just, I, just a real quick explainer for the for the audience. Um, you're talking about uh, a, a folk tradition of uh, witches or magically inclined people who are essentially uh, attuned to animal spirits and, and in some versions of the story become animals or, or channel the animals. Or, or our shapeshifters in some versions. And in the case of Herman, he does it by uh, pulling up like an energy avatar of the animal mm -hmm. that he's connecting to. Yeah. So. Yep. Herman's cool. <clears throat> I love that series. I'm really digging it. Uh, right now, they just had prom or something like that. So that's pretty, pretty that cool. That was the first, in that issue, is, that's the first time that Eva has a speaking line in Strange Academy. That's true. A, a boy asks her to prom and she's like, I told you yesterday no, and it is still no. <laughs> like, um, but if you really read through those issues, um, Umberto Ramos likes drawing her in the background. So she appears a decent amount so far, ever since she's you know, it's, gone. It'd be cheeky last time we talked. I'm like, man, tell me there. I know you couldn't probably, but like I couldn't say anything that, at the time. Like, tell me, because mm -hmm. you developed this badass character. I love her. Is there something else? And I'm glad there was. You know, Comunidades yeah. came out and I was like, oh, okay, awesome. No wonder he I'll couldn't really share. It's very interesting writing a character or creating a character and writing a little something for them and then sort of like putting it out into the world because now like i didn't write that scene in strange academy where she's talking and talking about the dance that's for someone else to do and this is the nature of those kinds of comics as opposed to like a, graphic, a graphic novel that i wrote where i control that character and whatever it's been really interesting to sort of see new artists draw her and like um write new scenes for her and i just hope that she gets used more and more you've been teasing some stuff on your on your socials by the way i know i mean i've been seeing some some reptil little mm -hmm. sketches here and there is that you trying to be a little uh a that, sneaky sneaky or is that just no, some fun that's, stuff that's just me working on a reptile poster um that i've been wanting to make i want to talk about the ending of the of, the, of reptile real quick before we move on i do want to talk about lifetime passes and kind of where, where things are going sure. for you down the line but i feel and this is maybe you know your thoughts is it just because you were approached with a four issue series that this feels very rushed at the end? Like everything felt like smushed in where I was like, shit, this needed another issue to give me more on. Let's go to the hag again. Let's bring her up. And maybe we find more about her son and kind of dig into his like, you know, like I wanted more because I love the environment you'd built. And I feel like because it was smashed into four issues, was it more so you were locked into those four told hey we need four or is it that you just felt hey four was enough yeah terry a as a reader i loved those first two issues and i texted you about them and, and commented on your thing but i felt as it ended especially with the character of the sun it didn't feel as satisfying as a reader so i'm curious is what are your thoughts on that as the creator here um well 
when I was approached, <laughs> they said four issues. That's it. Um, and it's interesting that you say like maybe, I mean, I hope they wouldn't care that I talk about this, but it's interesting that you talk about like maybe another scene with the hag or something because when things are like pretty bad, when, when Beto gets hurt and he's like unconscious and they bring him home. Yeah. I wrote a scene in the synopsis where Ava goes back to the hag and she's like, the we're in trouble <laughs> like we need help and she reveals more about who this villain is and they have a conversation about it there was no space for that and there was also so my original plan for issue three was that if i had had one more issue let's say okay what i would have done was i would have ended issue three with Ava and Julian and Beto in that mansion, finding the man that this guy was impersonating locked up. I was curious about that. I felt like there was more to that part of the story. That's what I wrote, and there was no space for it. Hmm. Um, and he would have, because one of my pet peeves, and I, I had to do this in the book, is when a villain's like, let me just tell you everything I'm doing, right? Yeah. And he kind of does that a little bit. And so I pr would have preferred for this tech genius guy that for them to save him and for him to say, no, this guy kidnapped me. He's impersonating me. He's et cetera, et cetera. And for them to save him. And then for the next issue to be kind of a battle and, you know, finding some more stuff about like that, because you still, Julian still to this day has the brace that mm -hmm. alters your appearance. Yep. I'm just gonna say that there's okay because yeah, i remember I know, that he got, i know nothing about i, I swear about anything you, that might be happening with julian in the marvel universe when you don't look at me in the eyes okay i don't trust you anymore i love you but i don't, I don't trust you when it comes to that but uh okay okay look at him look <laughs> I, know, at him, okay. I know nothing um, but i've he came he showed up in um in iceman in iceman right mm -hmm. and yeah. i would love his energy and everything he's in it's like whoever takes that character on afterwards like they 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 love his energy and ride that energy. Like they're they're not love, dumbing down it. I would love to write more for him <laughs> to be, to do basically what I did for Eva because I want to. I would love to set him up as a bit more. He says in the Iceman comic, "I've been thinking about becoming a hero myself." Yeah, he said you're a superhero. They already assume it, which is great because of the the energy and the vibe he has. You know, yeah. as you stroke your beard, but that's <laughs> I would why love I think to write I, more for him. That's why I, I like I like the characters. I really love how fleshed out they are. And even that's that issue, um, you have them figure things out on their own. They're like, hey, they're piecing it together. Oh, look, look at this, look at this, look at this. Yeah. And you're kind of feeding them on where these kids that like we talked about before, don't underestimate these kids. You know, like they're badasses. Yeah. So I'm glad that you can expand and it sucks that you were locked into those four. Yeah. It's tough, but it's also a, a challenge to be able to sort of tackle and I think hopefully flex my writing, you know, abilities. So it was, I wouldn't say it was unfortunate, but yeah, I wish I could have had another uh, shot, like another issue, but I wasn't able to. Or an ongoing. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Um, as you're talking about characters that, that uh, you wanted to expand on and you like seeing them expanded by other writers. I've had a friend of mine to ask me to ask you very specifically living lightning. Would you ever take him on and do something with him? 
Oh, sure. sure. You have a character who is Latino, uh, late in life, uh, revealed as being uh, being gay, and and then and then barely ever used since the early '90s. Uh, but it's like an existing character, an Avenger level character. Listen, I'll write whatever character Marvel wants to throw at me. <laughs> but I do find that character to be interesting and um, underused. So when people talk about representation, especially for like the Latinx community or the queer community within Marvel, there are a ton of characters. It's not for lack of having the characters. It's for the lack of those characters being used and being written for and brought into the spotlight. You know, I when I was hoping that they would do a Marvel Voices Comunidades, I made myself a list of every Latinx Marvel character. And it was long. It was, you know, but I was like, oh, I've never even heard of this one. This one hasn't had a book in like 20 years. This one, you know, so it doesn't serve us, I think, to create the, this is why I want to write more for Julian and Eva, because I don't think it serves us to create these like fun, awesome characters and then just have them fade, fade into the background, you know? Yeah. So, Yeah. No, I, I say I'm a fan. Uh, I would love to see more from the reptile universe, from Julian, from Eva, especially Eva. I, as I said, she's just kind of coming into her own, I guess, at the Academy. I want them to get done with Gaslight, the series, so that way we can get into something else. Never know. Uh, but I want yeah, to move on. I would love for them to add her to like the main cast as when they come back for to school. You know. Yeah, I'm, I feel like that, a book like that lends itself to a rotating cast, mm-hmm. and I'd love to see like. A few issues spotlighting on her and Herman or, or whoever else. So let's uh, move to uh, Lifetime Passes, Terry. Okay. Before we, I know we, we're, we're cannibalizing your Sunday morning there. You're fine. But Lifetime Passes, you, you wrote this uh, with along with your friend uh, Claudia Aguirre, right? Mm-hmm. And man, give a quick pitch again for those who don't know about Lifetime Passes. Um, this is historically the book that I tell people is very difficult to describe because <laughs> you can't just do it in a sentence it's not um, i will try um it is about a group of teenagers mainly a young mexican girl named jackie uh jackie chavez um she lives with her aunt who is the head nurse at an elder care facility and jackie and her awful friends are awful obsessed friends. are obsessed with the theme park a local theme park called kingdom adventure Jackie has emotional ties to it because, um, slightly spoilery, her parents were deported and that's where they would take her a lot as a kid. And that's why she lives with her aunt. And when threatened with, like, I might not be able to go to the park anymore because I can't afford the pass, she hears about a rule that if a member of your party dies at the park, to avoid a lot of legal trouble, they will give the rest of your party lifetime passes to the park. So she and her friends decide to form a fake senior citizen outreach program to take the elderly to the park <laughs> once a week during the summer in hopes that one of them, while there, might just die. And I mean, odds are in their favor. <laughs> right. So um, an elderly woman named Phyllis, who is very smart and knows exactly what these kids are doing, offers to go with them all the time anyway and has her own reasons for wanting to go. And the book sort of deals with Jackie and this woman learning that they have more in common than they think they might and becoming close. So Jackie, you know, doesn't want anything bad to happen to her and feels guilty about what they're doing. So that's um, sort of the setup for the book. It's a good, no, that's a very good setup because we're not giving much away. I don't want to, because I think that this does deserve your time. 
to really enjoy it because I've read it a couple of times. I gave it to my wife to read and my son, she hasn't finished it, but I've had this sitting on my shelf and I love it. My son's kind of in between books, but I like it because of the fact that it does kind of, it feels very, believe it or not, even though it's a, very realistic, you wouldn't pass this. Trust me, a group of teenagers with, with time and energy, they can probably do some shit like this and they can be yeah. very realistic. And I mean, my question would be, I want, I want more of this universe because I love the characters you fleshed out. Because I love the interactions with Jackie. I love Jackie's growth in this. There is a, a tug of war that all teens go through when it comes to friends, family, your own convictions, right? So this book deals with that. Tons of comedy, tons of uh, jabs at uh, a, a theme park that will not be named uh, <laughs> uh, in this book. But definitely I want to recommend it to everybody. And Terry, I mean, you tell me uh, as far as when you were going through this one here i mean what was the what did you hope someone reading it would get out of it like what's the big like you know what when you walk away this is what i want someone to kind of say about that experience um i i guess it goes back to what we were talking about about like sort of pulling people in with comedy right and then and then sneaking in this sort of deeper message not to sort of teach people in a preachy way but to just sort of like include something that I feel is important. So a lot of people who've read the book, I think have said that they were surprised at the turn it took, which mm -hmm. is very nice and what I wanted for it. But, you know, without being too spoilery, Jackie sort of lays it out for you at the end in some narration where she talks about what I think the book is about is that, um, the most important thing we have in our lives is our time. And that's because it's something that we'll never get back. So like if I'm poor right now, whatever, maybe I can make some money next week. You know, if there's somebody in my life who kind of sucks, Phyllis is like, why are you spending time with these awful teenagers? They, they're terrible to you. You know, you don't need to do that. And so Phyllis, who was older, she tells Jackie at one point in the book, you know, one day you wake up and you're old and you think about who you've spent your time with, you think about what you spent your time doing, and you think about what you wasted your time on and what you wish you would have done instead. And so I think that gets to Jackie because having lost her parents um, in a specific way, you know, she sort of wishes that she'd been able to spend as much time with them as she could have. So, I think that also it, it helps you when you're in situations like that where you're kind of, uno se aferra a certain things, right? Like, I can't let go of this. If I let yeah. go of this, it's gone forever. Mm -hmm. But the reality is certain aspects don't leave you. You kind of move on and you keep a piece of it. Doesn't mean like you can't, because being obsessed over one thing and thinking that one thing will be your your totem, mm -hmm. you know? But this book kind of leads you to be like, no, there's, there's more to it than that. You can move on beyond that thing you think you need to have and not let go of. Yeah, I appreciate I the book for what it is. I really Thank do. you. Yeah, I think Jackie gets surprised when she learns Try not to be too spoilery. Sure. Um, that Phyllis might have. I haven't read this yet, by the way. Okay. I'll, <laughs> so I'll, I'll hold back. But I, Jackie, I want to. The more I hear about it, the more I want to read it. I just haven't read it yet. Jackie learns that Phyllis might have a much stronger connection to the park than even she does. And I think that hits her pretty hard because she, I'll say this this is a huge inspiration for the book. Okay. Um, I was watching The Simpsons one day <laughs> and there was a great scene. 
and I have it screen capped. I saved it when I was writing this book. There's a scene where Lisa is sitting at the dinner table with grandpa. And grandpa says, when you're old, nobody listens to you. And Lisa says, when you're a kid, nobody listens to you. And neither one of them is listening to each other. Wow. And I was like, that's really interesting to me to think that these two people have something in common and they, they would probably be closer if they knew that. So Jackie thinks this old lady has nothing to offer her, nothing in common with her. Except and, dying. Right. Like something that she could act, <laughs> something that she could do for her. Right. Mm -hmm. But not something like tangible. Right. Not something that they would mentally or emotionally have in common. And when Jackie's talking about losing her parents and I can't go visit them and I, I don't want to risk being put in a freaking cage and lady, you don't know what this is like. And this lady's like, um, honey, I was, I'm, I'm Jewish. I was 14 when the Nazi rule came to an end. You're giving <laughs> too much away, Terry. So, I know where we're, so this is that's good. All this is good. Yeah. There's, go there's check it out. More than, please. Much, much more than that. Well, let me ask um, you a question, Terry. Um, you know, we're talking about a kid whose parents were deported. Uh, and, and earlier we were talking about how the, the Latinx community is not a monolith. You know, we're not all have the same story. And I was saying that I appreciate that there's stories of like a third generation uh, kid here. And, and then to me, it's like, here is another aspect that, again, I appreciate these stories are being told. Um, I know uh, I've talked with Hector Cantu several times in Baldo. He made, a, which is a newspaper comic strip, Baldo. He made a point of having Baldo's best friend kind of come out to him as a dreamer. And say, mm -hmm. you know, I'm one of the ones protected by, by this, uh, by this policy. I was going to say law, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let me ask you, Terry. Um, one, how important is it for you to tell that kind of uh, immigrant or immigrant tang tangent uh, tangential story? And uh, two, how do you feel that's being received uh, from from you as a writer? I think it's really important to tell that kind of story, especially because. I, how do I put this? Okay. When the world discusses refugees and asylum seekers, they tend to discuss them very differently if they are white versus Latino or Latinx or Latina. Yep. Or, or anything of a darker shade than, than you know, than white. Wonder Bread. Yeah. So I remember reading a story that was like this young little Ukrainian boy and his bravery walking all these miles with just a phone number and a bag and whatever. And absolutely, that's insane. And no child should have to go through that. But they put children in cages in this country for doing that because they're yeah, Latino. Central American yeah, kids. But it was so, central, from Salvadoreños, that's a big thing with us. When they villainize, you're saying they're invading. They're invading the border. And it's like and when someone says, well, well, okay why are they coming here then? I'm saying, my opinion, and I know this is probably controversial, controversial yet brave, controversial <laughs> is... That's why you're here, because you are controversial yet brave. <laughs> you brave is, controversial person, you. Look. You are bravely controversial. They're here because of war. You know, Ukrainian people are fleeing because of war. The Central American and South American communities that are traveling here it may not be a fancy televised war, but it is a culture and violence war where violence is threatened against your family, against you, if you do not comply. So sure, then you need to leave for your survival. 
And that should be all we need to know. Someone needs to flee for their survival. You know, we shouldn't psychoanalyze, okay, but why and this and that. I mean, maybe we should to address the problem and help in any way we can, but not, not when someone is in physical, mental, emotional need of help, of asylum, right? So I feel like it's important to tell those kinds of stories because in Jackie's case, you know, I think we see how we can relate to her in certain ways where we might not have, you know, before. If if there's a young kid who's not a member of the Latinx community and they read this book and they feel empathy for Jackie, I think that is important because historically a lot of rights and civil rights movements have only moved forward when people who are not members of that community are on board. You know, when they like yeah. empathize and sympathize with those things. I so, mean, you you also, you know, touch that you talk about writing about those kind of stories. You also wrote a Cesar Chavez book. I you did. Mean, who was the voice of the people? Cesar Chavez. <laughs> so I like how you have it handy book. and ready. Oh man, I can, listen, pro. I've done so many Zooms that I have all of my work like literally right here just so I can <laughs> grab it in case I need it. Now that's a professional. And, and I, I'm a professional girl. He is yep. holding up a book. Literally a physical like, book. Yep. I'm like, here, let me show you real quick. <laughs> this is a career. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all my work, like ready to show. I need ready to, to go. Yep. So since a Chavez book is what for like someone that just, what is this? What is the book? Is it more of like a, yeah. a bio? Uh, what, what would you say it is? So there was a really, um, or there is a really popular series put out by um, Penguin. And they're these like who was books and you may have seen them in stores, but they're like, who was, you know, um, Michael Jordan, who was Marie Antoinette, whatever. And the covers are kind of like bobblehead, like looking well, people. So Penguin wanted to release a new series um, related to that, but in graphic novel form. So they approached me about writing a book about Cesar Chavez. And I, mm -hmm. at first, was not super interested because I was more, well, I was more hesitant because I was like, this is someone who actually lived, you know, like was a real person. I've never written True. anything about that. And how do, and the age range that this was targeted at was like junior high, middle grade, right? And I was like, so how do, like farm labor union? How do I make for, that interesting? But, but for kids, you know? Right. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought like, but kids understand when something isn't fair. They get that. And a lot of what happened in, in the time that I was, of, of Cesar's life that I was researching, was like, you know, wanting to form this union because what was happening to labor workers in the fields was not fair. It was not right. So I, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, this, this actually could work. And I was excited by the fact that the editor, her name's Rachel, she's fantastic. She was like, you know, I want you to pick a time in his life that you find interesting and write about that instead of he was born, he did this, he did this, and then he passed away, you know, like a typical kind of biography. I was like, well, that's, to me, appeals way more to me. It's just a, an interesting time in his life. And taking this like pilgrimage, this walk, you know, all the way up to Sacramento to me was interesting because it was like, like that's a journey that you, that's yeah. a story you can write about. So 
yeah, I wanted to to do it. And I always kind of want to challenge myself to try something new if the opportunity comes up. So um, I did my best <laughs> and I hope people enjoy it. I think it is something that young people can read and, and really understand. Can I ask real quick, Terry, um, how do you define the, the age range for your like target audience for that book? It's meant to be, um, well, the target age range is like middle grade, junior high kind of age. Um, uh, the reason I asked that is I like that you mentioned the Who Was books. I've talked with Chris Eliopoulos a couple times, him and, and Brad Meltzer put together those books, and those are aimed at the younger level uh, readers. And, and yeah. I just love the idea that as kids are coming up now, they can read about these these biographies of really important, significant people at each kind of age range. And it's not to say adults won't yeah. enjoy these too, because of course they will. But I love the idea that they have books that are aimed at elementary, books aimed at middle school and early high school. And then as they keep going, they can get in full-on biographies. I, I love that these are all in forms that are essentially one form or another comic books. You know? Yeah, I'm and, really and proud of these. Literature. This whole like series. Um, another a great artist um, that I know, Maria France, they did Who Was the Girl Warrior of France? And that's about Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc. Um, and there's one about Rosa Parks, Neil Armstrong. Um, they are making more. They haven't announced them yet. But hopefully, I think by this fall, they will announce like the next sort of line of group of you know characters and people that they are doing books about. Um, but yeah, I think these are really great books that a lot of people could benefit from. I, I, like, I, I think for me, what's helpful is saying, yeah, junior high, middle grade, because that helps people, even younger people who may read at that level to go, oh, okay, well, I can read this too. But I also think about how books meant for younger audience aren't just for that. Like, like we all read The Hunger Games. You know what I mean? Like, that's a young adult book, but it's meant for, you know, kind of everyone. Everyone can kind of enjoy it and read it. So, yeah, I I like reading stuff meant for a younger audience anyway. So no, it's fun. To, it's it's inviting, you yeah. know. And I'm glad that you're 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 doing this. You're working on that. I know we talked about it a little bit last time. I want to touch on that before we go. Uh, you mentioned you were writing uh, "Eat Your Heart Out." You mentioned that that's a, a book you were working on. Uh, yeah. Can you share a little bit about that? Where are you with that? Yeah. What's yeah? Um, n there's hopefully I think an announcement being made fairly soon about when it might be released. <laughs> um, and I can't say too much, but I, I'm pretty sure it will be next year. Um, if, if you aren't aware, I guess, um, Eat Your Heart Out is a book that I wrote with my friend Maddie Newton. Um, the artwork for the first volume is uh, by Lydia Anslow, who did the pencils and inks, and then Claudia Aguirre, who hey. um, did... Um, my Hotel Dare book and Lifetime Passes. She is coloring the book. Um, and it's a modern day Mexican queer retelling of Snow White. So it is about a young girl named Blanca who <laughs> graduates high school in Idaho. Her mom, Reina, wants her to go into real estate. And she's like... I'm loving the names. Yeah, she's like, hell no, I'm going into fashion. So when her mom goes away for like a conference, she packs her bags and runs away to the Big Apple um, where her dad is from, nice. who has passed away, obviously, because it's Snow White, mm -hmm. and promptly moves in with seven queer men. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's like a drag queen, and there's like um, a twink, and a bear, and like a, you know, whatever. Um, and her mom sends a private investigator after her. And I wanted to do a book where, so, rep, so Reptile 
um, even though that's not original to me, um, like the character, but Hotel Dare, um, Lifetime Passes, and um, Deadway all have sort of like Latina characters in them who are, um, I don't want to say like fully something, but they're like, they're Mexican-American, right? And Maddie and I are both like second, well, so I'm like, gajillionth generation on my dad's side because those are like mormon pioneers and i'm first generation on my mom's side because she's straight up from omeka mecca mexico and then came here maddie so, is so sort... to split the difference you're a third generation yeah so <laughs> maddie is very similar his mom is mexican american mexican american or mexican his dad is from the united states just like me so we wanted to write something about a, a latinx person who is essentially what you know what we consider ourselves a mixed race and so Blanca's last name is is Dolan because it's her dad's last name. You know, um, we wanted her to have moments where she speaks to somebody and they're like, wait, but your name, how is your last name? Do like, but you're Mexican. And, you know, because I think a lot of people have to go, like you said, Kevin, earlier, you yeah. have a last name that is, I guess, relatively more like, I guess, Latinx sounding, but then you still have to explain like how someone that looks like you could have that name exactly so we wanted to Every talk time. a little bit about that you know and also a huge influence for me on this book were a lot of the sitcoms that i watched as a kid because if if we think about a like if i think about the pop culture show or movie or whatever that most closely is tied to new york i think of the sitcom friends but when i lived in new york I didn't know any white people, mama. Like, I'm sorry. Like I lived in the Bronx and everybody I knew was a person of color. And so I, I the, a lot of the sitcoms I watched when I was younger, um, I watched because they, I couldn't find any with like Latino families, but I would watch sitcoms about African-American families because that I felt it, it didn't closely necessarily resemble my experience, but it, they weren't white families and I wasn't a fully white family, you know, didn't have a fully white family. So I wanted to see a different experience and I really wanted to include and, and write a, a, write a story about New York that looked a little bit more like a New York that I experienced than say an all white experience. I'm excited. I love yeah. the, the premise. I've been, it's been in the back of my mind since you talked about it last time we spoke. I uh, will say this, cause I don't think I told you this last time, but a big part of it is, um about drag because one of the oh, character one of the characters that. one of the characters is a drag queen and blanca who wants to design clothes okay may help this busted drag queen a little bit <laughs> and and in snow white there's this element of like cool well i'm gonna clean house for these dwarves right i'm gonna help yeah. them and so what i wanted was to write a story where blanca definitely helps these people she needs they, to make rent though but so they help right but they help her just as much like it's it's reciprocal it's not one-sided symbiotic um, and i think that for me there are two types of stories uh mainly one where like a character goes on a journey they grow and they you know whatever return home changed and whatever that's that's like almost every story that's like little mermaid star wars whatever um and then the other type of story that I really enjoy is a story where the main character is already kind of who they are, but because of who they are and what they, what they do, they change everybody around them for the better. So for me, that's like Paddington 
Ted Lasso, Pollyanna, you know, Damn, I love Ted Lasso. Stor stories like that. So I really wanted to write something like that where Blanca was just going to enter these people's lives and they embrace her and love her and help her. And she does everything she can to help them too. Awesome. So awesome. I'm excited for it. I am too. I hope we can get some news, you know, and have you back on a lot sooner than a year, you know, and yeah, you get yeah. busy. But I want to just uh, kind of bring this show down to an end here. And uh, we've we've uh, we kept you a little bit. I got Kevin on the road there, uh, roadside. Hopefully, nobody <laughs> thinks he's waiting on somebody. So we got to make sure that we can we can make sure he gets home safe. But Terry, bottom of my heart, man, thank you so much for coming on, making the of time. Course. Yeah, yeah, always fun always chatting amazing. with you. Thank Terry, you. Appreciate you it. Any, in fact, I um, tell my friends, uh, yeah, Terry's going to be on the podcast. They're like Terry Bloss. Oh, he's amazing. I don't hear me out. Not, not just from your books, but from your podcast appearances, because you show up on a lot of podcasts that people like to listen to. And they're like, I heard him. He was so good. Did you hear my episode all about skin on Cerebro? <laughs> what? No, yeah, I was on the. Oh, yeah, so I know okay. I know you love skin. So if you if you check out the Cerebro podcast, my episode is all about skin. I actually had a fan page on uh, when GeoCities was a thing dedicated to skin. It was like like literally nice. I knew no one else on the internet was gonna make one, so I'm like, you know what? I'm making this this fan page. Nice. Do <laughs> it. Yeah. Bonding over bonding over the X Men. Yep. So guys, we want of course thank you both, Kevin, for being on the road and being on the show. Uh, Terry, thank you again for sharing, of course, and just follow at Terry Blast on all social media. Uh, Want to just thank everybody for listening. Remember, we are a weekly show. All it costs you is a share, a like, and just subscribe, guys. Uh, just add us and let us know who else you want to see on the show. Terry, thank you for visiting. Have a great day. Enjoy your Sunday, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, too. Thank you. Adios. See you later, primos.